that Star Trek is a big ripoff. But you know where Star Trek came from? It came from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. It's like Irwin Allen. Irwin Allen was God. Irwin Allen did everything. Somebody saw Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and said, let's take the water out and put the sub up in the sky, and that's Star Trek. Irwin Allen did everything first. You see Titanic? Did you see it? Anybody, anybody can flip a ship over in three hours at the end of the movie. Irwin Allen did it in Poseidon Adventure at the beginning of the movie, man, with Shelley Winters on board. Now that's hard. Once again, everybody, welcome to the Cinema Beef Podcast. If you've got beef, we've got the grinder, which always just frightens me every time I say it. Um, I am your co-host, X, and of course, over there in Illinois somewhere is the great bearded one, Gary Hill. Yes, indeed. Only somewhere, man. Yeah, it's, uh, you're I'm you're getting your... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I already fucked up tonight. No, I was just going to say, you're getting your hockey on tonight. Oh, yeah. My my nipples are extra hard for the Chicago Blackhawks tonight, man. Not because it's cold, but it is very cold in the United Center, I guess. It keeps that ice all, all frozen and such. Yes. Also, for revenge. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> hey, I have a, we have a guest tonight. It's Mike. Mike Merriman from the Evil Episodes podcast and the Not-So-Evil Episodes podcast. Hello. I, I don't even know if people, that's probably, they heard no difference in the two names of those podcasts. It's probably sound like the same damn thing. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> Is that just how I said it or because of what they're no, actually named? Because I had no imagination coming up with the sidecast. <laughs> and uh, when we when we talked to Doug, almost every time he suggests coming up with a new name, and I'm like, yeah, we should, and then we don't. <laughs> That's awesome. Need to come up with something. Yes. I'm open to suggestions. Okay. <clears throat> um, before we get to tonight's topic, which I assure you is very serious and very complex, let's see if anybody has any beefs this week. They're f- like the title of the show. Gary, do you have a beef? Oh, do I have a beef for this week? Uh, I, I guess not terribly, but you know... I guess all you fucks that went to go see the Poltergeist remake, you're part of the problem. If I had to make a major beef with, you know, teach your kids better about horror films that, you know, bring you to even the score of the of the, of the movie as a character in the film, you know, and go watch that one. That That's about it really for, for my beef of the week. You know? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> Mike, do you have a beef of the week? Uh, I 
I would second what he said about people going to see Poltergeist. People that are surprised oh boy. that it sucked. I don't understand what the surprise there was about it sucking. Uh, I guess I'll throw in a, a minor beef with uh, the movie Maggie. It kind of sucked. And I, I, I'm disappointed because the trailer made it look interesting. And it was just boring to me. Have either of you guys seen that? The Arnold somewhat zombie movie? Uh, bits and pieces of it. I didn't watch it all yet, though. Uh, that's funny because she's a zombie. Oh, oh, we got a million of them. I haven't seen it yet either. Yeah, it's just kind of boring and drawn out and nothing much happens. And yeah, there's those zombie hordes to speak of. Did you say hordes or hordes? Hordes. hordes. Oh, zombie see. hordes to speak of. There is a lack of zombie horror. I mean, it's part of, you know, they're going for like the new, the more nuanced approach to zombie movies. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's the zombie apocalypse, if you will, is more of like a managed thing. It's like a, almost like a health thing. And some of those movies work. So I'm not really criticizing that subgenre as a whole, but just Maggie was, it was, to me, it was just boring. Nothing much happened. The conclusion was just, eh. And, it's unfortunate because when I first heard about it, I wasn't interested. And I saw the trailer and I was like, eh, it could be all right. And it wasn't. Ugh, that was unfortunate, you know. It, it's, uh, it did get a lot of hype, like you said. And uh, I I tried to watch 20 minutes of it. I was like, I'll, I'll save it for at home. And I never went back to it. So <laughs> Yeah. And it was a really limited release, too, which I didn't know uh, ahead of time. I thought, I figured with Arnold in it, it would get a wide release. But so. I mean, I don't think a lot of people have the opportunity to see it anyway. Well, I think they tried to market it as like almost an art film. You know, there's lots of pictures of Schwarzenegger walking very decidedly towards something, and there's flames off in the distance. It looks like a damn Civil yeah. War movie. But I think they were trying to position that like Stallone did Copland, you know, like, hey, <laughs> you're used to me doing all this other crap, and I can really act. That's, it seems like that's how they were trying to sell that. And nobody yeah. wants to see that. And I mean, it's. Arnold, he's not horrible in it because I guess for the character he's playing, it's he's acceptable. And then the main zombie girl in it is uh, Abigail Breslin. Uh, she's fine, I guess. It's just I just think this, there's not much to the story or the script, and it's just kind of meanders for its running time, and that you get a lackluster conclusion. Mm. Oh, I, for, I forgot a beef I have. It's uh, it's with Sylvester Stallone actually. He's because uh, <laughs> the big news came out this week, and it, it, the sequel news, I guess, would probably be counted from other show. But he's thinking of making Hulk Hogan the bad guy for Expendables Four, and his more manlier Expendables Four, as he calls it. And oh, yeah, Hogan, Hogan, there's beef with Hogan too. About him wanting to, him having this delusion to, to waste time at WrestleMania 32 and wrestle. That's that's a uh, so beef with Hulk and Sly, Thunderlips and The Rock. You're pissing me off this week, man. You know. <laughs> I don't know. He's, Are they still talking about like an all-girl Expendables? That already happened, but it wasn't a licensed thing. It was, I don't, I, I seen the the direct to Asylum one, which isn't awful. It's actually pretty good, but I don't know if they're going to build on that and make it a big Hollywood one. Well, it was going to be like Charlie's Angels times three. Cameron Diaz was supposed to be the lead and stuff stuff like that, which is great because she's done so many action films. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> she's good, and I like those Charlie's Angels films. I like that that one with Cruz and her was it night and day. That's pretty one bad. I'm not saying she's shame. I'm not saying shame shame. I'm not. I'm not saying she's the best action person ever. But she does good in those Charlie's Angels films. I'm fine with that. 
And here's the problem is because you're probably I'm, – I'm about to counteract everything both of you said. <laughs> Go for it. Sweet. Because you know what? I don't, I don't have a beef because I don't want to let a bunch of people on the internet tell me what I'm supposed to be angry about today. <laughs> you know? I don't need that. I'm not a damn sheep. If you're upset about the Poltergeist remake, okay. You know, are mad because there are women in Mad Max? Shit, okay. Yeah, shut your mouth about that. That's awesome. (laughs) It's just, but you know what? It's just like people just want something to fight about. They just can't let anybody have a good time. So that's my beef. It's not having a beef because all the beefs people want me to have is all shit that I could give a tinker's damn about. So I want to talk about you know, movies, because that's what I like to do. And I love movies and I love horror and wrestling and my wife and vodka and some good weed, but not necessarily in that order. But there you go. So we're going to talk about movies tonight. And if you have a beef with me about what I just said, join the group over on Facebook, the Cinema Beef Podcast group. Get at me there. <laughs> Speaking of which, you've been watching anything good this week, X? I saw two things um, that were interesting. And I haven't liked a goddamn thing the Vicious Brothers have done. Nothing. I thought Grave Encounters was incredibly stupid, and the second one wasn't much better. Yep. Um, so then they spread out like this fucking space movie called Extraterrestrial. It's fucking cool. And I'm really surprised because I really don't like those guys. But they've made like this quantum leap in filmmaking skill and probably budget since uh, Grave Encounters too. But yeah, it's a cool little movie. Um some good tension. You get kind of a guest shot from Emily Perkins mm-hmm. from the Ginger Snaps trilogy, nice. which is sweet. Um, yeah, a good 80% of it works. The ending takes a real sharp turn left. And I didn't like it when I first saw it, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, that was cool. So maybe it'll grow on you. Maybe it won't. But I recommend it. I haven't heard stellar reviews about it from people. I heard a lot of folks said it was boring or whatever, but. By the way, Quantum Leap is a film I'd love to see if that ever happened. Give me a Quantum Leap movie with Dean Stockwell and Scott Bakula. No, no, Where no, he goes. No, no replacement actors, please. You know, I, don't want, I don't need them. I don't want them. But, you know. <laughs> oh, continue, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was cool. I do have one recommendation that's kind of out, out there. Um, I saw a movie on Hulu. It's called Burning Bright, and it's like five years old. I don't remember anybody ever saying shit about this movie. But this movie is fantastic. Oh, my God. Um, it's about a woman who has an autistic younger brother, and she gets trapped in her own house with a tiger during a hurricane. <laughs> exactly. It sounds ridiculous. So it's like Life of Pi but Home Invasion. <laughs> <laughs> Strangers of Pi. Strangers of Pi, yes. But – um. It, it comes together kind of organically. It doesn't feel contrived, and it's scary as shit. Plus, that's a real fucking tiger. It's not like a CGI tiger. That's a big fucking cat trying to eat Brianna Evigan. So, yeah, that's okay. And if you have Hulu, you should totally check that shit out because it went under my radar for a long time, and I think it needs a little rediscovering. Well, if I learn anything from Adam Sandler, from Adam Sandler produced films, you know, you can get past a dog, but you don't fuck with the lion, son. That's all I'm saying, man. <laughs> That's it. Uh, what about you, my friend Mike? Have you watched any good this week at all or late, late recently? Mike? Oh, I have, I have, I'm mute. <laughs> okay. have you I'm, picking up, I'm picking up Jamie's bad bad habits of talking with her mic muted. 
I watched uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I enjoyed. Beautiful looking movie. Um, it's kind of split. It's kind of uh, getting split reviews and recep it, with its reception. Uh, what else? I've, I I rewatched uh, Candyman for the first time in a long time. The first one. Nice. Um, I, it's a solid movie. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I remember the not liking the sequels too much, but uh, the first one was pretty good. Pretty good. Um, other than that, I mean, I saw Mad Max in the theater, which is fucking awesome. Most fun I've had in the theater in a long ass time. And uh, I'm thinking about trying to catch it again before it leaves because I think, you know, uh, that's one that really deserves to be seen in that presentation. Uh, I guess that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, I could probably think of other stuff, but that's good enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll give you the short list. Uh, I went to the movies as well. I saw Mad Max as well. Uh, excellent film choice, uh, as per usual. And I saw Pitch Perfect 2 in the same day. So, you know, but that, that's that's a movie about, you know, giving Rebel Wilson way too much to do. And uh, I, I, I like those kind of movies for some crazy reason. Something about um, broads who are well-built, who can carry a tune, kind of do it, does it for me. You know, that, that you know, if you like that kind of, kind of thing. But, uh, uh, past singing, I, I saw, uh, I put, I put, I got Runaway on Digital Nows, which is an excellent film with, uh, Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons. If you haven't seen that film, it's, uh, Gene Simmons plays a, a high-tech bad guy who has an army of acid-spitting robots who, uh, yeah. come to kill people, and it's excellent. And a gun that has heat-seeking, heat-seeking, identity-seeking missiles. So you know, like go around corners. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Tons of fun. Tons of fun, folks. It's funny because I've heard I've heard from so many people that the movie is not good, but all my memories of it from when I was a kid are badass. Because I'll I probably only remember all the badass stuff from the movie. <laughs> The, the physics are, are terrible, you know, with, with the bully going around the corner and shit and going through fucking tubes and all kinds of crazy shit, you know, but they might come up with that at some point in time. But it's just a fun fucking movie, and <laughs> I recommend watching it immediately if you haven't seen it before. Um, I guess my big recommend for the week, if I had to pick a big recommendation, is that, you know, I heard this came out on digital, and I bought it immediately. Uh, the Carol Spinney documentary, I Am Big Bird. So if you don't know who Carol Spinney is, that is the guy inside the suit that does the voice of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. So and, uh, that was pretty fucking heart-wrenching. So so if, if you're a dude, don't watch it with other dudes. You might get some feelings. They might make fun of you for that. And I had some feelings by watching that documentary because uh, I'm much like many, many folks my age. Uh, we grew up with the Children's Television Workshop and uh, Big Bird and Oscar and the Muppets and all that shit. So, you know... It's pretty special to folks like me, and you know, this this doc was it summed it up, man. All my feelings for Big Bird and, and Carol as a person who I've met before at convention, and I don't leave convention without meeting Big Bird. It's it's against my rules. So, um, yeah, get that shit, man. It's good. It's not on Netflix yet, but I think it's a cool like eight bucks to buy on uh on Vudu, or probably like four bucks to rent on Amazon. So give it a give it a rental, I'd say, and uh. Ooh, that's about the, the highlights of what I watch. There's other stuff, too, because my voodoo library is vast so <laughs> of stuff to get to. Oh, Amer- I, American Sniper was a thing. So if you like that kind of thing, uh, you can watch that movie, too. I don't mean to turn your show upside down, but I forgot a beef. Can I bring it up really quick? Go for it, man. <laughs> Today at work, I saw the goddamn trailer for the Point Break. I knew remake. somebody was going to bring it up. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> 
Now, I guess some people don't like the original. I like it. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and when I was watching the remake, I was just like, typical fucking big budget. Like, they're getting it all wrong. It's probably going to suck. But, I mean, part of me doesn't care anymore. It's like, well, I'm just simply not going to go see it. So, <laughs> I'm not going to get that worked up over it. But, man, it, it looked like just crap. <laughs> like, it, it looked like a huge budget B-movie um, well, which could sound awesome in theory, but no, it's 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 not at all. My beef with the Point Break remake is it's been already remade into Fast and the Furious, so you know it, it's it's, and they made like seven movies out of that thing, which are very successful. This should be very unsuccessful. Yeah. And it's yeah, I guess we'll go back and X whenever you're ready. We'll just go into the you know set up the the film discussion or whatever. Oh, absolutely, because I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. This one was one of my ideas. For a show, and you can also present your ideas for an episode at the Facebook group page. I'm pushing the group page. Fucking take it like a champ. What we're doing tonight is looking at three relatively big hits from the 70s. Two of them, yes. One of them, not so much. Um, But they were all possessed, possessed, excuse me, produced by a man that they referred to as the master of disaster, Irwin Allen. So tonight we're taking a look at three Irwin Allen movies, big cheese ball with nuts on the outside disaster films uh, from the seventies. So Mm -hmm. this will be a lot of fun because they're really long and really intense and weird. Not a cheese ball. Shit. Talk about cheese balls for the fact that's all I'm saying, man. (laughs) I like cheese balls. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we should do these chronologically. Does that sound right? Sounds good, yeah. Are we t- or are we taking a break first, or what are we doing? Uh, we'll take a break, bro. We'll, uh, what do you do? We chronologically, what are we doing first? Uh, we'll go Poseidon, and then um, Inferno, and then The Swarm. Well, we'll be right back after the trailer for The Poseidon Adventure. See you guys soon. Early morning hours of New Year's Eve. The SS Poseidon, en route from New York to Athens, was struck by a 90-foot tidal wave. Oh my God. And capsized. Irwin Allen's production of The Poseidon Adventure. people on board, only a handful will survive. This is their story. That's the way out. That's our only chance. Don't listen to him! Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Carol Lindley, Roddy McDowell, Stella Stevens, Shelley Winters, Jack Albertson, Pamela Sue Martin, Arthur O'Connell, Eric Shea, and Leslie Nielsen. Who will survive? The combined talents of 15 Academy Award winners bring you... The Poseidon Adventure, a Ronald Neem film, coming from 20th Century Fox. We are back on the Cinema Beef podcast as we go through disasters of the 70s. Um, Our first film is The Poseidon Adventure from 1972. 
Um, I'll read the IMDb description of it, and then I'll start on a small rant because that is what I do. A group of passengers struggle to survive and escape when their ocean liner completely capsizes at sea. 7.1 rating on IMDb. Now, here's a thing about Irwin Allen movies. They were spectacles. They were a little bit bloated. So you had this weird f- phenomena that really came to a head and a peak in the seventies. And that is called the all-star cast. Now an all-star cast is made up of mostly B C grade actors. There's probably one or two a grades at the top of the list, but then everybody else is just like, oh, I've seen that guy on TV or, you know, didn't she play a nun in something? It's all actors like that, but you recognize them. And the point of that is if you recognize somebody in the movie, you don't have to know what their character name is. You don't have to give a fuck about their character at all because you're just identifying them by that actor. So when you go through the cast list of an Irwin Allen movie, you kind of have to do it like, an old pre a preview for like old westerns. Never in the world has there ever been a gunfight this ginormous or anything stuff like that. So, um, the Poseidon Adventure stars Ernest Borgnine and Stella Stevens as Mister and Missus Rogo. They fight, but they love each other, and they love to fight each other, and they fight each other to love. Mm-hmm. And then there's Jack Albertson and Shelley Winters, and they're the Rosens. They're Jewish. That's the joke. Obviously. Get it? Yeah. They're Jewish. They're going to Israel a mere five years after the Six-Day War. Um, Red Buttons plays the old health freak. He runs. He takes vitamins. He doesn't know what a pastrami is. And if he does, he's not telling. And then your A-lister is you get Gene Hackman as the angry priest. He's Reverend Popeye Doyle. He's grrr, angry at God and grrr, angry at people who believe in God. I suffer, so therefore I should help myself up and don't ask God for shit and don't pick your feet in Poughkeepsie. Seriously, that's what the performance is. It's Father Popeye Doyle. So, um, so Popeye Doyle is Joel Austin in the turtleneck then, right? That's it. Gotcha. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Leslie Nielsen is the captain of the boat. Um, and this is before he was funny. So try not to laugh during his scenes. Let's see. Carol Lindley is in it. And she's the girl who lip syncs that goddamn Marine McGovern song over and over again. And Rodney McDowell's in love with her. And that's weird. And Pamela Sue Martin is in it as not Nancy Drew. And then there's this other kid who plays her little brother. And I think of him as American Bob. Mm. If you're a Lucio Fulci fan, you'll know what I'm talking about. He's awful. (laughs) He's so terrible. Um, Yeah. So that's the Poseidon adventure. That's how that rolls out. Um, and basically, that's it. Everybody's on a boat, and it's New Year's Eve, and we get to meet everybody in their drama. Uh, the Rosens are going to Israel. They're going to visit their grandson. I think they're just going to move into a kibbutz and retire. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Rojo, or Rogo, um, which is Ernest Borgnine and Stella Stevens, he's a cop. She used to be a stripper. He rescued her from the business, which is really Travis Bickle. For, for, Just, <laughs> from what I gather, she was a lady of the streets. Oh, was she, was she a hooker? I think she was a hooker. A hooker. <laughs> he only arrested her five times for, for what? Probably to get some free play play from her, I, I'd imagine, you know. 
Looks like she was still ready to go, too, on the uh, boat. On the, Dude, on the fifth blowjob, she fell in love. Yeah, when she's on the boat, you're right, Mike. That blue dress she's wearing, which makes it look like each one of her breasts is encased in its own separate grapefruit bag. <laughs> Absolutely horrifying. People wore some really weird shit in the 70s. So anyway, um, on the boat, it's New Year's Eve. Unfortunately, um, there was a sea quake, which caused, I think they said, massive tectonic shifting or something like that. It sounds very science-y and researchy, so we just accept it at face value. The sea quake creates a giant wave, and this wave, which turns the Poseidon, the boat, upside down. Now, there was some drama before about how the boat's top-heavy and not stabilized, which is what happens when you cast Stella Stevens and put each one of her tits in a grapefruit bag. But anyway, ship turns completely over, you know, the tables that are bolted to the floor are now on the ceiling and it's kind of a weird effect. And this one guy, um, falls through the skylight, which is now at the bottom of the sea. And when he falls through the skylight, all the lights on the ship go out. Mm. So that leads me to believe that for some reason, the breaker box was inside the skylight and that makes no sense to me. Um, when the ship flips over, practically everybody dies except for like, what is it? Eight, ten people. Yeah, like six, I think. I, I think six survived. There were more than yeah. that. Yeah, so it's probably like ten people. And of course, it's only the people that you've ever gotten to meet in the movie. There's no strangers or anything like that. So we get to listen to, uh, you know, Father Gene Hackman yell at people, and then Ernest Borgnine yells at Hackman. So it's just a big yelling piss contesting thing. Um, one of my favorite parts is when Hackman, <laughs> the Christmas tree has fallen against a railing. And if you climb the Christmas tree, then you can go up a level, which means you're closer to the bottom, which is now the top. Um, I hope you're following all of this as carefully yes. as I am. But he's yelling at these people who were obviously mortally injured <laughs> to climb this Christmas tree and help themselves. And they're all like, no, we can't do it. He's like, you goddamn pansies. He just starts freaking out on him. It's great. He's like the best inspirational speaker ever. Yep. But those folks got to stay, stay put because they're white and they don't know any better. I'm sorry. That's these, true. These films are filled with people who are white and don't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Gary. What, what did you think? What did you think of this movie? Oh, the really, that's the whole story. Oh shit. Ship flipped upside down. Some people died. Some people didn't. Okay, go ahead. That's it. Like, like, like you said, it's one of those seventies movies. that has an all-star cast, much like your, your air, airport movies that came out at the same time earthquake and all those other movies. And this one had a cast that worked together. Well, you mentioned the Christmas tree, you know, Jack Albertson being uh, uh, Jewish. I mean, he doesn't believe in Christmas. So it'd be kind of awkward to climb the Christmas tree as well. Just to maybe he doesn't believe in it or something. I'm not bringing anti semitism into it again, guys. I'm just throwing it out there that, you know, made a big point that he's going to Israel. He's going to climb this Christmas tree to freedom. There's something anti-Semitic about how much they push the fact that they're Jewish, you know, and there's and it's almost like it's offensive because we keep waiting for them to be used in some kind of really bad racist humor, and that never happens. So it's just like, okay, you're Jews, we don't care. Why? So no slurs, no nothing, man. No, it's just we are extremely Jewish. And um, the the, the, the characters, the the ones you get in the film, I guess the, your your survivors are pretty much set up right away. Who's gonna live and who's gonna die? You know, or who's gonna Who's going to who's gonna live through the initial trauma, I guess you would call it, because, you know, 
I didn't see Gene Hackman doing what he did at the end of this movie, but you know that, that's a spoiler, I guess. He he does it. He's no longer with him on the morning after, as the song goes. You know. Oh <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's one of those films that I've I've never seen before. I've always heard about. I've only seen bits and pieces of. I think I've seen the Kurt Russell remake way before I've seen this one, which is okay. It's a big budget version of this with CGI effects and. Um, What's that Kill Billy guy's name? Josh Charles, or uh, forget the, the guy's name, but he's been in stuff. He's an actor at the time who doesn't do much now. Put it that way. <laughs> Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas, yes, there you go. Um, <laughs> the man who would be Patrick Wilson. Y- y- yes, yes, basically, <laughs> yes. But yeah, this movie, it's, it's pretty much a, a paint-by-numbers thing. So, so, so they build a ship that's, you know, much like... This is the Titanic, just like the Towering Inferno is the, the Titanic of skyscrapers. This is the ship that probably would never sink. Nothing bad will ever happen to the ship, but guess what? Giant wave hits it, knocks it on its ass, kills a lot of people. Nature it, finds a way. Nature finds a way, yes, indeed. <laughs> Speaking of which, I got to rant about these shitty kids in this movie. I love shitty kids in movies, and this is no, no exception. I'm a firm believer that in, in Jurassic Park, if the, if the little boy got eaten by the T-Rex, the film would have been a whole lot better. But uh, that's that's me, because you had this annoying kid who knew everything about the boat. And he wanted to let you know he knew everything about this boat. Just shut the fuck up. This, 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 quality, this brings nothing to the plot at all. I can see if something this boy said throughout the film, much like Timmy in Jurassic Park. Well, I'm sorry, yeah, the kid the second one. It just looks like, just like Timmy in Jurassic Park. If something he had said had any applause or any, any anything on the plot of the film, it might have mattered, but it didn't matter. They were in a dire situation to get to the surface, I guess. And, you know, and Borgnine's always great. I love the fact that his wife is, is recognizing dudes that she blew on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's something in this movie. She doesn't want to go out to dinner because this is at the captain's table because somebody recognized her as one of her old Johns, I guess. Yeah. And he always has the pain, the pain look in his face. Like, <laughs> God damn it. Not again. <laughs> She blow Leslie Nielsen. God damn it, bitch. Thought we were done with this. Hey, get below deck. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, my, my, all right, our guest, Mike, what do you think of uh, the Poseidon yeah. Adventure, sir? Uh, so this is the first time I've seen this. Um, I actually, you know, I enjoyed it somewhat. It, it's a, I think out of the three, I thought this one might have been paced or uh, paced the best only because once shit starts happening it's kind of like a flow through the rest of the movie where in the next couple like a little bit of shit happens then you get lulls some more shit happens and they're just really fucking long this one's long but i believe it clocks in right about two hours maybe just right under it um i thought it was cool when you when you get the shot of huge wave coming to hit the boat i liked all the people hanging from the upside down tables uh, and then just kind of crashing to their death. Um, that was cool. I, I did find it funny uh, when the guy crashes through the window at the top and just shuts down all the lights. I think out of the three, this might be my favorite. I don't know. It's hard to say. All of them have some enjoyable aspects to them. But I think this one, because I wouldn't call it a short running time, but the shortest of the three, I believe. And I think it had a steady pace to it. Um, I just... Once the shit got going, it it's it stayed that way through the end of the movie. Um, I loved Hackman. Uh, Borg Nine was great. Um, 
I just love the idea that they're just trying to get out of a ship that's just sitting there upside down. It's not sinking. It's just kind of sitting there upside down. <laughs> it's not getting broken down. The water's not... But, um, it's cool. I have not seen the remake, though. You said the remake was all right. It's pretty decent. I'd say watch it. When did it come out? What year? 2006 or something? Right in that area? Something like that, yeah. Uh, wasn't that Peterson's follow-up to Air Force One? I, right, that so, sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Get off my cruise liner. <laughs> Get off my boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it um, for what it was. Um, pretty, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. I, I thought so. And yeah, the cast... It was probably the cast too that really helped help move things along. So, it's, it's, these actors, I could you could sit there and watch, regardless of the movie around it. You just watch them chew up the scenery. Yeah, pretty much it. Yeah, the, the, a bunch of actors that you know chewing up scenery. You know, going from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E, point F. You know, all, all those good points in the movie. Whereas uh, the next movie we're probably talking about, I think we're doing Towering Inferno next, is a uh, a big old clusterfuck of personalities and different stuff and different people on different points of the the, the, the the building. I don't know. This one just seemed like way way better as far as, you know, character development goes because you had those much like I, I call it the Dawn of the Dead theory. If you got a lot less survivors in your film, you get to know them better, you you, you recognize you like the characters better or you hate the characters more or hate the characters less. Yeah, well, this one definitely filled more reeled in than Tower Inferno. It was like it was a better constructed, better plan the story was a little tighter. I mean, there was not much of a story to it, but no. it just felt like, okay, once shit hit the fan, we get a steady kind of progression through them trying to escape the ship. And that's really all there is to it. As opposed to the next one, it's just back and forth between, okay, now are we getting to this? No, let's go revisit <laughs> some other shit. Here's a little bit of a fire over here, but we're going to forget about that for a little while. And, Go revisit characters. All right, I'm I'm ready to jump into that, but we do need to go around and go ahead and give our rating for um, the Poseidon Adventure. So, what do you say, Mike? One to ten. Um, I would say uh, one to ten. Hmm. I would give it a six. Um, it's yeah, it's it's hard to. I don't know what a six says. In this situation, necessarily, because I don't. I, this is the first movie I rated for cinema beef, so I don't know. Maybe you're, I'm saying six, and you're like, "God damn, you loved it." <laughs> um, but I, out of the three, I think this was probably the easiest to watch for uh, casual fans. If you just want to check out a flick from Irwin Allen, I mean, everyone's probably somewhat heard of him as a director at making these kinds of movies. And out of the three we picked, or not we, but the three that were picked for the podcast, I would say this one is probably the easiest to just sit down and watch and get through. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it a six out of ten. That's good. As far as myself, um, I'm right with you with that six. It's, it's not boring. It's it's not anything. It's 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 it's, it's, a, it's 70s. It's 70s fluff. That's the best way I can put, like, describe this movie. It's, uh, it's, it's there if you want to watch it. And it's 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 really enjoyable experience. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm gonna go watch it tomorrow or anything, but I'm glad that I watched it for the first time for for this podcast. And that Borgnine's wife's a whore, and you know, that's that that was the thing in that movie that made me laugh so hard, man. 
<laughs> Wait till I tell Eddie. What is that? I see she fell in love with that 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 uh that American bandstand music. See, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, six out of ten. It's it's it's, it's enjoyable. Uh, next episode, we go through the season one overview of the time tunnel, which should be a lot more enjoyable than this. I think I don't know how to explain these things, but you know, watched a lot of time tunnel back in the day, folks. But X, what's your rating of the film? I'm gonna give it a solid seven. Um, I, you know. <laughs> I watch a lot of 70s schlock, much more than I should, I'm sure. But, you know, as far as a big budget, you know, everybody die kind of movie, it's pretty solid. I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's not my favorite out of the three, but it's probably num- it's number two. He did. He did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess we'll move into our next feature. Yeah. Yes. Right after this. The American dream does the road be this. I'm coming to you live in a living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American dream does the road. Knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver... Sticking Baba Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. Steve McQueen and Paul Newman race against time as one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The Towering Inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox present Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. Welcome back to the Cinema Beef Podcast. We're at the midway point of our Irwin Allen evening. Uh, we're going to go into The Towering Inferno right now, 1974. At the op- Here's the IMDb synopsis at the opening party of a colossal but Poorly constructed office building, a massive fire breaks out that threatens to destroy the tower and everyone in it. I wouldn't call it poorly constructed. I'd just say that some weasel bastardized everything that our hero Paul Newman did and fucked it up, you know. I think when they said poorly constructed, they were talking about the movie, because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would say <laughs> as far as the Tower Inferno goes. It, well, after it was over, thinking like looking back on, it, I was like, this had the potential to be so much better if it wasn't what uh, a nearly three hour movie. And they once the fire started, if they just went from there and progressed and said, okay, that's what we're focusing on now. It was a lot of back and forth. Uh, I, I really like. I think it was maybe the last half hour, forty five minutes. Once they just focused on 
the building and you get the lady falling from the skyscraper and everything kind of goes from there. And that was fine. That's what I was hoping we would have had for the last hour and a half of it. But unfortunately for me, that kind of good stuff came too little and too late and in between too much shit that I didn't care about. It it does have one of my favorite scenes in any kind of movie though, is is the scene where, uh, who was it? Uh, Robert, um, what's the actor's name? Robert, Robert Wagner, Robert Wagner, Decides he can go be flame retarded because he can run the 40 and 10 flat, he says. <laughs> they, they had that scene in this movie. They had a scene in, in uh, Poseidon Adventure as well. You know, where, of course, Jack Alverson's wife <laughs> dies because she was the best I'm a skinny swimmer. girl in the water. She's a skinny girl <laughs> in the water. Yes, indeed. She has a heart attack or something. And then immediately after she does like the coolest thing she's ever done in her life. She like this this amazing heroic thing, and then literally three seconds later, she dies of a heart attack. Fuck you, movie. And then my favorite scene in any recent horror film is uh, the, the the scene in Year Next where I wish Chariots of Fire was playing, where the girl decides to go take a run and she gets her neck taken off by the piano wire. That's a <laughs> I'm a good runner, Bob. But that's all related to these films. But you know, same kind of deal. I need those scenes in films. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like, like like you were saying, Mike, the, the the length was a big question in the film. I, I wish I had a. I I, I I was really tempted to get up with a pack of like saltine sal- saltines, you know, because there was a lot of burnt crackers in this movie. <laughs> they, they had they had one. <laughs> I'm sorry, X. You know, they had like one black guy in the old building that was our our, our should have been hero, but kind of jumped the shark when he just disappeared. They're going chasing after some old lady's cat, the juice O.J. Simpson, you know. Who seemed like the only sensible person besides Paul Newman in this whole building, which I always love about a movie where Paul 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 Newman's flying a helicopter in the beginning, and then he's getting blown by Faye Dunaway in the next scene. And that's that 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 does things for me for Paul Newman. Like this is like the coolest motherfucker alive. <laughs> Faye Dunaway terrifies me. The thought of her giving a blowjob to Paul Newman is just awful. That's like Clash of the Titans shit, the remake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Again, like the, Paul Newman's uh, the the, um, the architect of this building in this film, and some little weasel cuts corners and, of course, puts faulty wiring. And <laughs> I mentioned X, I was going to bring up a, a thing from Revenge of the Nerds. It reminds you when the Alpha Betas burn through their house down with the fireball uh, uh, alcohol, <laughs> and they go out, faulty wiring took our house out. Like, you know, motherfucker, you burned it down, you know, but next, next, next lie, you know, but. <laughs> And they steal the nerds, the nerds' home, and that, that, that's, that's the thing of that movie. But that's remind me of the whole time, just Ted McGillie screaming about faulty wiring and lying, you know. And oh man, you know the thing that I in this movie, it, it's, it is the faulty wiring that causes the fire. But I think there's something else that needs to be taken into consideration too. I wonder if they cut corners on the actual uh, fuse breaker boxes themselves. Because no matter what happened, as soon as something snapped or buzzed, the fucking door flew halfway across the room on every single one of them. Like they had, you know, hinges that were wired to explode. So that I thought that was where I was like, well, it's these, it's like, it's these cans. He hates these cans. These cans indeed. Yes. It's the fuse boxes. Um, (laughs) No, because that's when the live wires go flopping around onto oily rags and set an entire building on fire. Who keeps who keeps oily rags inside of a storage closet? I'm just curious about this. <laughs> that was the best collection of flammable materials I've ever seen in my life, just sitting in that room. 
Yeah, just kind of like in a half pyramid, just like waiting. Like, oh, maybe if a little flame gets on top, then we can kind of ramp it down into the rest of the village. Yeah, it was perfect. Had the uh, biohazard stickers all over everything. It was it was a wonderful collection of flammable materials. Yeah, <laughs> all in one tiny space. <laughs> hey, did y'all figure out where the uh, exteriors for this movie were filmed? It was in San Francisco. No, it was San Francisco, but I mean the building. Oh, what was it? It was a Hyatt. <laughs> a hotel? Yeah, it was the Hyatt Regency. And I knew that because I remembered when they first put in their glass elevators and they were all on the outside of the building. And it was, oh, this is so cool. Hyatts are awesome. We just want to ride the elevator. So I was like, that's bullshit. They filmed that at the Hyatt. <laughs> Which would be like filming, you know, they came from within a, like a Motel 8. It just cra- it just made me laugh. It's probably even more feasible at a Motel 8. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> It's not the Nakatomi Plaza. A lot, no. a lot, a lot of seedy shit happened at the Motel 8, let me tell you. <laughs> you were talking about um, how Robert Wagner dies in the movie where he <laughs> sets himself and goes running the 40. Did you see the part in the very beginning where he stopped, leaned down, and touched the chair to make sure he was on fire? <laughs> It's funny. He comes running out of the room with that blanket around him. He stops. He dodges left like he's trying to avoid, you know, like he's blocking a football player. Oh, <laughs> like, maybe he found a quarter. I'm just throwing it out there. Ooh, found a quarter. Could, that could be it. That could be it. But yeah, he just has to make sure. Okay, is the sleeve up? Good. I can do the rest of the scene. It's really fucking funny. There's a lot of scenes where a lot of a lot of white folks die hilariously in this movie, and that that oh, that, yeah. that makes it for me parts of this movie the part where the stupid white folks are going down the elevator and the doors open and the flames just come pouring into the elevator like oh you motherfuckers are dead and i shouldn't be laughing but i'm laughing my ass off right now and you're charred fucking bodies (laughs) yeah there's a lot of stuff like that mike join us please towering inferno the towering inferno ah paul newman great as usual he's dreamy (laughs) <laughs> it's funny because when the first little fire got set i was like oh here we go we're gonna get two hours of this and it was not to be it was not to be <laughs> no it was not <laughs> that was a very slow burning fire uh <laughs> i love like the exterior shots though as you said uh once once more the building's on fire at night it looks really good you finally start to get some carnage going on um so the the run up at the end to kind of, to conclude the movie was really cool but goddamn this one you reserve a, a day to get through this one it what the hell is the running time like a hundred or sixty five minutes goddamn <laughs> and you feel it you feel every every minute in 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 certain points of this movie where you just look at your clock like you know is it almost over is it almost over well, and you figure, like, because when you see, like, the box art and you read what the movie's about and you see the running time, you're like, holy shit, this place is going to be on fire for a long time and it's going to be back and forth. You know, it's going to be backdraft on steroids. No, no, not really. Um, like, there's some good shit throughout the movie and I wish they would have, like, edited a lot of the other stuff out to make it maybe, like, a two-hour movie. Maybe even less than that, but I think a two-hour movie... And you would have got, you would have got more out of it. Um, but I mean, these kind of movies—they still end up enjoyable, regardless. 
well, in my opinion. Anytime you got a movie where people are in peril and there's a deaf lady afoot and people just yeah. forget about her, it makes you laugh every time too, you know? It's like, yeah. It's like in the tingler when you know to get rid of the tingler, you gotta scream, you gotta fucking mute in there. That that's a that's the thing of that movie, you know. <laughs> a young Faye Dunaway too is in this, yeah. Yes. There's no such thing as a young Faye Dunaway. <laughs> oh, I got, I got, I got it now. There's, there's something in this film that, that relates to Sharknado that I'm going to get into now. Is one of the actors in the film. When I watched Sharknado, it, it was, it was, it was, it was okay. It was a B movie. But there's a part in the school bus where you catch a glimpse of Robbie Wrist. If you don't know who that is, his cousin yes. Oliver from the Brady Bunch. When I seen a little burnt faced little boy in this movie, I was like, is that Mike fucking looking land? And, you know, wouldn't you know it? It's fucking Bobby Brady. Not doing much of anything in this movie either, you know, as he does in the television show. OJ Simpson, yeah, is in here. Uh, very much not like the modern OJ Simpson that we all know and love. I had no idea that he was in this. Well, is this the, his first appearance in a movie? Because this is way back in what, 72, is it? 74. He's in one that I want to watch called, uh, is it The Black Klansman? Is it called X? Is he in that movie? Yeah, he is in that. I want to see that movie. <laughs> It looks pretty good. The the, the plot of the synopsis sounded pretty good, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of self-explanatory. Oh. Black Klansman. Oh, yeah, but the the juice Zafra was in full effect in this movie, and it's it's it's, it's <sighs> glorious. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I never figured out about this movie, I mean, there's a lot of shit that's wrong with the Towering Inferno. Don't don't get us wrong. <clears throat> But I'm curious as to how much manpower it takes just to make sure the fucking electricity works in this place. How many, you know, how like, many, how many floors were the Towering Inferno? Okay, how many floors were there? Because it um, like the 80th floor was like the midpoint of the building. <laughs> they did say it was like the tallest building in the world. I think it was like... Hold on. Let me find it. Because I found something crazy while I was... Yeah, he said something crazy. Like, why do I care that a fire's up on floor one million or something we're down here having our party so oh yeah white folks having a good time you know they're, they're, the in, ta- they're in a black face in the crowd except for OJ who disappears halfway through this movie you know <laughs> well we know where he went but to go find some pussy but to go find some pussy <laughs> literally he gets a cat and this yeah. cat is within the rest of his phone apparently because when you see the burnt face Fred Astaire at the end, was it Fred Astaire? Or? Yeah, so it was Fred Astaire. Yeah, at the end of this movie, he, he instead of you know, oh, sorry, your wife's dead, but here's this cat, and that, that's the thing at the end of this movie because he just shows up at the end of the movie after being gone for God knows how long, probably being blamed for setting small fires throughout the building because he's the only <laughs> black guy in the whole building. You know, there's a, I'm trying to find it now because there's there's a website. If you're really into this movie, it's the toweringinferno.info. It is a Towering Inferno fan site that's been online for, I think, 17 years. Oh, that link's going in the show notes. <laughs> this person has found fucking everything about the Towering Inferno and has a VIP member site where you can see deleted scenes. Undeleted scenes? You they pay. deleted scenes? <laughs> <laughs> you pay how much for this, X? How do you know it's... it's- I don't know. I, I didn't. I did not check that price, and I apologize for that. Um, crazy, crazy. I'm still, trying to, I'm still trying to see how high the tower is because I know it's on this site because I saw it. I think it's like 138 meters, something like that. That guy's probably sitting in his basement right now, writing towering inferno romantic fan fiction. 
so tell me something because you guys are probably more familiar with the structure of these movies than me. Was he was he making these kind of outside of the like the mainstream Hollywood structure? That's why he could get away with these crazy ass running times. Oh so, hell no, no, that was for a disaster movie. That was that was standard. Okay, yeah, because I mean I know there are other movies that are long as hell like this. Well, m- movies like this kind of replace the biblical epic. From the 50s and 60s to the 70s, you know? Yeah, I can see that. So that's why they were allowed to run long and have ridiculous budgets and stuff like that. Right. Mm. But yeah, the Towering Inferno, uh, it's, <laughs> the, the, the biggest the biggest gripe I have about the film is the length. It's 165 minutes long, and it's not unlike the Poseidon Adventure, you, you they concentrate on a, a group of characters, you know, being our, our main characters, uh, our fire, ch- fire chief played by Steve McQueen, uh, Paul Newman plays the the architect guy, and then you know, of course, the the guy who owns the building, the king of the Titanic skyscraper, you know, and you you get focused on these other characters and another part of the building, and the other characters that you you just you meet these these characters, and that's a part of the building. So instead of concentrating on one set of people who could possibly go get, pick up all these minor characters, they make a thing where they're gonna let you know who everybody is, even if you don't give a fuck. And that's what really hurts the running time of this movie, in my opinion. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't mind the running time. I mean, I knew what I was in for. I was just kind of st- strapped in and held on. But I don't know. Old, old long movies like that from the seventies. There's something wonderful about them, um, just because they are structured in a way that is foreign to movie watchers now. Um, it's really kind of more of a. It's more of a TV. Uh, state of mind than it is a cinematic state of mind. It's very strange. And of course, you have the which which Superman, was that Superman three where the, he melted the lake and <laughs> and fucking uh, put the fire out. Yes, they, they figure out they finally figure out there's these giant tanks of water at the top of the skyscraper and so this could po- possibly put this fire out. You know? There are two million gallons of water on top of the burning building. <laughs> so, yeah. Why wasn't that? Is that on a need-to-know basis? Because it seems like as soon as you saw that fire, you'd be like, hey, guess what? I have a great idea. This seems structurally unsound, though. Was it, was it five gallons or two, two million gallons of what kind of water? Like Perrier? <laughs> Heavy. <laughs> Heavy water full of radioactivity. <laughs> Mr. Pib, perhaps, you know? Mmm. No, this, these, uh, these are tab and these are tab and these are tab kind of people, I swear, man. These people have Tab in their refrigerator right now. Tab and Schweppes. Yes. <laughs> so you got two million gallons of Tab on the roof, and uh, they got to drop it on this fire and put it out. And thank and thank God Dabney Coleman was there to think of it. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. That's for sure, man. <laughs> but um, anything else you want to say about the film, Mike? Uh, now it's time. Uh, I mean, the sequence was cool when they blew up the water, and then you just have the water kind of gushing down through the floors and taking out the fire, taking out people with it. Um, that was kind of cool. It's like the, the adult version of the Goonies water slide. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, the whole sequence, like the last 30, 45 minutes, I was totally on board with that. You just got to get through a lot to get there. So if if you're having difficulties with the running time, I'm sure on YouTube you can find what you need to find from the movie. I like how... Um 
<laughs> in the seventies, all the adult men are just rough badasses. And they, they always tell like the little boy who's like their parents are dead. He's like, or no, they they get the kids to take care of adults who are injured, like if it's their parents or just like some stranger. It's like she's broken her leg. You need to help her, five year old kid. They're your responsibility. Love that. That's so macho. It's like, fuck, dude, I don't even know you. <laughs> Tell me what my responsibility is. You're not the boss of me. Fuck no, Steve McQueen. Oh, man. Yeah, this movie, I get like <laughs> giving kids too much to do. That's kind of funny, actually, though. They, I recognize that in a lot of films now. You know, you're going to be the man now. That kind of deal. And, uh, yes. Uh, it's very the very boys in the hood philosophy of you know, uh you teach you to be a man. Furious. No, I'm not gonna get that right now. They are Ricky getting all sad all over again. You know, whatever. But uh, uh, go into ratings now. I guess. What's your ratings of the film, Mike? Hello. Hello. I'm here. What's your rating on the film, Mike? Uh, well, to me, the running time hurts it, and I don't like it quite as much as I do the Poseidon Adventure. So I have to go. A score lower and i'll give this one a five out of ten x um i'm gonna give this one a seven just like i did poseidon adventure because really they're the opposite movies if you liked all that water poseidon adventure you're gonna like all that fire of the towering inferno just battling elements so yeah to me they're just about they're about the same you know towering inferno poseidon harder <laughs> <laughs> but with no naked bill sadler doing kung fu Damn it! <laughs> the only thing this movie's missing, god damn it, is Naked Tai Chi with Bill Sandler. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm right, right, right up there with a six, much like Poseidon Adventure. It, it was good enough for, for what it was. And uh, it's like I said, you could have cut some of those secondary characters out and made a more fluid film, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, I'm right there with a six. Uh, enjoyable. I'm not going to say I'm going to watch it again tomorrow. Like I said, I'll, I'll watch it again eventually. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. You can't watch it tomorrow because it would take you the next two days to watch it. <laughs> oh, my God. You can start it tomorrow. <laughs> and with that, we're going to come back and talk about bees and shit with the swarm. <laughs> After this. Looking for something to fill that deep, horrible, dirty void inside? Then look no further than the podcast Under the Stairs. Join your host, Duncan McLeish, and guests as they dissect horror films old and new. No film is too gory. No film is too scary. No film is too violent for the podcast Under the Stairs. The podcast under the stairs can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com or on iTunes. The podcast under the stairs is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Podcasts. To avoid fainting, keep repeating to yourself it's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. For more than 20 years, scientists have known that a swarm of killer bees has been headed towards the United States. Now, Warner Brothers presents Irwin Allen's The Swarm. We have visual contact. Identify. A black mass, sir. A moving black mass. We have been invaded. 
by an enemy far more lethal than any human force. Starring Michael Caine, Catherine Ross, Richard Widmark, Richard Chamberlain, Olivia de Havilland, Ben Johnson, Lee Grant, Jose Ferrer, Patty Duke Aston, Slim Pickens, Bradford Dillman, Fred McMurray, and Henry Fonda. story of courage and sacrifice. Not since the 30s, when families by the thousands fled the Oklahoma Dust Bowl, has a thriving American community had to be totally evacuated until today. Its size is immeasurable. Its power is limitless. Its enemy is man. The war that I've always talked about has finally started. Mile by mile, city by city moves, leaving in its wake a path of destruction. When are we going to stop this massacre? Irwin Allen's The Swarm. It is more than speculation. It is a prediction. The Swarm is coming. <laughs> Welcome back to the Beat Podcast. Uh, tonight, I am unprepared for the first time on a podcast ever because my computer said to take a shit. And I had to fix that thing. So uh, Mike and, and X are going to try to convince me to like the Michael Caine vehicle known as the Swarm about bees and shit. X, give us a plot synopsis and stuff, my friend. Here it is off of the great IMDb. A huge swarm of deadly African killer bees spreads terror over American cities by killing thousands of people. Much like the regular killer bees with the terrible wrestling. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. So it's got a 4.3 rating on IMDb. Quite a drop from the other two Irwin Allen movies. Um, this one stars Michael Caine. I really want to do a Michael Caine impression, but I'm going to spare all of you because it's horrible. Um, but yeah, Michael Caine, <laughs> Richard Widmark. It's always weird when I see Richard Widmark in some kind of horror movie because I'm like, oh no, dude, aren't you better than this? And then I, I kick myself in the ass for thinking it. Um, so Michael Caine is a guy who knows about bees, and Richard Widmark is the general of I don't know the army. Uh, and Bradford Dillman is a guy who doesn't know about bees, but he looks great in an orange jumpsuit. Um, Henry Fonda is the guy who knows more about bees than Michael Caine, and then Fred McMurray is a guy. And Van Johnson's another guy, and Olivia de Havilland is the girl that those two guys like and almost come to blows over, which is hilarious. Uh, let's see. Slim Pickens is in it. He's the guy with the country accent in the middle of the California desert, because that's right. And Richard Chamberlain is in it, and he's yelly, shouty guy who doesn't believe anything that Michael Caine says, so they just yell at each other in different accents, and that's fun. Um but yeah, that's what the whole movie's about. It's about a swarm of killer bees that come up from Africa, I guess, because they're Africanized bees. Um, 
And they, oh shit, they're not in California. They're in Texas. Okay, that makes more sense because it's Houston that gets all fucked up at the end. Uh huh. Okay. Um, this is about a swarm of killer bees and their adventures in the United States. They meet some people who are not very nice and they attempt to sting them to death with their stingers and venom. And they almost pretty much succeed. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Mike, what's your thought of the swarm, sir? Uh, for half of the running time, I was distracted because one, I was like, what the hell is Michael Caine doing in this movie? And two, <laughs> there's a killer bee movie that I saw growing up. I thought it was made for TV. Maybe it wasn't. And I can't remember what it was called. So like half this movie, all I was doing was like trying to think, is this the movie that I saw? Is this the movie that I saw? But and I, I don't believe it was. I believe Somewhere around half the movie, I was like, nope, this is a different one. Well, your movie was called The Killer Bees. It it could have been. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I remember like bees flying into the house and they were trying to clog <laughs> the air vents with sheets and stuff. Yes. Okay. And I would not even be surprised if that one's worse than this one. <laughs> um, but I, I, I liked it. <laughs> it was it was fun. I, I got a kick out of the huge the huge ass swarms of bees i was uh waiting for chris farley to run out at any time and <laughs> to, to, bees bees all around us um it was uh it was another lo- I, I would say it didn't need to be as long as it was oh fuck no <laughs> yeah um, they could have made a nice little tighter horror movie out of this um i man they went there with the with the stinging and murdering of school children <laughs> this movie takes an absolute delight in child death yeah when you they with the scene where like the i, I believe was she a teacher at the school or she looked yeah like, she was at the school school kids and she just has they do the long shot of just like her pained horrified look on the dead children laying in the playground and i was like holy shit <laughs> and she does the vader Oh yeah, yeah. She turns around somehow going no as children are just falling to their death in front of her window. It's yeah. gruesome. It's gruesome. They I mean they have a kind of the usual setup where there's like a scientist guy who's trying to explain everything to everyone and then the skeptics like, Oh, you're just a you're just an intellectual. We're not gonna listen to you. You don't know what you're talking about, even though we really don't know what the fuck we're talking about, but we're just not going to listen to you. Sh- shit gets worse. The swarm gets more deadly. Um, but, you know, it, it was enjoyable. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, I, you, X, you can get into it more, and then I'll probably react to what you got to say. But uh, what yeah, do you think? Yeah, just, just jump in, man. Um, yeah, I really, this is my favorite movie out of the three, even though we did watch the director's cut of The Swarm. Whereas the theatrical cut was a nice, relatively lean 116 minutes. The director's cut is running about two and a half hours long. So, Shit. Yeah, right? <laughs> that was 156 minutes of the swarm that we sat through. Um, I have a lot about this movie that I'd like to discuss. The first thing I think is just kind of funny. They referred to the bees as a moving black mass, which is a devil movie guy. I think that's really funny. Um, there's one scene where these people are having a picnic and it's right towards the beginning of the movie. And they just drive into a field 
and set up their picnic. But the thing is, they park right under a giant, I mean, fucking giant cluster of bees to the point where you could hear it on the soundtrack. And I'm thinking, would you not hear that? Like, as soon as you got out of the fucking car and, like, investigate the source of that shit? The answer answer to that question is fucking white people, okay? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you're exactly right. That 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 brought back uh, some memories from childhood. I used to when we moved into the house where I grew up, it was kind of uh, a new what the hell do you call it? A new track housing where our street was kind of the, the first houses built on it. So right. we would go riding around and like the new developments where things were only half built. There's a lot of fields and large trees, and we go bike riding on this one trail, and we pull up under these huge tall trees, and you just hear this like, zzz, but it's like. Oh. hundreds and hundreds of that buzzing and we just look up and you just see wasp nests all these wasps flying around and just the noise like the audible i i'd never heard anything like that we turned our asses around <laughs> pedaled our asses so fast and never went back there and when that scene came up in this movie with them pulling up for the picnic that totally brought me back to that shit like don't you fucking hear that get the hell out of there there's nothing good that's going to come of this that's right this way leads to madness and death. Um, anyway, I'm just, I just that scene cracks me up because they should know there are bees up there because you can hear them. Also, everybody in that fucking scene is dressed like they live in Shelley Duvall's frontier land. What the fuck is that? I've seen some ugly ass shit, but that was some horrible clothing. Um, okay, here's another reason for you to watch this movie, Gary. We'll call it the Bee Delivery System. Remember that scene in Fulci's Gates of Hell or City of the Living Dead where the windows fly open all of a sudden all these maggots and mealworms just blow in through the window? Yep. Okay. You get the same thing in this movie except it's bees. When they're flying when they're doing the helicopter scenes, and obviously the helicopter's not really flying, but you can they are just shooting hundreds of thousands of bees onto the windshield of this helicopter. <laughs> nice. And when they attack, it is literally like somebody just turned on one of those big ass like fans you see in a garage and just blew four or five hundred colonies out of this hollow stump. It's crazy. It's really funny. Um, a friend of mine told me that when you see those, it's not even really bees, it's puffed rice. <laughs> they used cereal as bees. What's cheap effective? If it was effective, you know, more popular. Yeah, I mean it worked. It's fucking brilliant. Now, here's one thing that I didn't get about this movie. Um, I don't think they ever really go and explain this, but according to the swarm, if you get stung by a killer bee, there is something in the bee's venom that will make you hallucinate giant bees. Yeah, I found that interesting. (laughs) At first, I was like, is this just like a phobia of hers that's making her delusional? Or is there actual giant bees crawling out of someone's eye. <laughs> I wish. What the hell is going on here? So I guess, yeah, the venom works as sort of an LSD. Um, <laughs> so maybe they were trying to purposely get stung at some point. <laughs> Henry Fonda, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, it, it's just so weird to me. Uh, it's like, I mean, killer bees are mean, but I don't think they're fucking vengeful where, ha-ha, the last thing you're going to see before you die is a big fucking killer bee, motherfucker. Ha-ha. Illegal. That was a big thing in the media, though, at the time, wasn't it, about the bees coming from Africa to get everybody or whatever, right? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, that was huge tabloid stuff. Um, which is why they made this movie just to strictly cash in on that. Oh God, this I don't even know where to go next with this because I don't want to get to my. I have a theory about this movie, and I know that. Now, have you seen the theatrical version before you saw the director's cut, like at an earlier time? Yeah, but not like since 1978. Okay, so I was because I was just going to say, what was there worthwhile stuff in the director's cut, or like it more swarm shit, or was it just more people talking? Or? No, it's just it's just more people talking. It's just like you know Michael Caine trying not to have a romance with Catherine Ross and just I bullshit am. like that. I be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you okay. are a beautiful woman. <laughs> Screaming, I just did it anyway. Damn it! Um, Quite a sting on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a train crash in this movie, and it's fucking great. And the reason it's fucking great is because it's terrible. It is a miniature, and it is really badly filmed. And they use that as a really shitty way to tie up a plot point. And here's the weird plot point. It's like this love triangle with like people who are senior citizens. And it's just weird to see like these old men ready to come and fucking fist fight each other over, over a woman. That's just really weird and, and childish. So I never did really understand that storyline. Doesn't matter though. Cause they're all on the train. Boom. And that train is just that. If you're a fan of bad special effects, that that train again makes the fucking earthquake in Superman look fantastic. Anybody got anything else? Because I do have a theory about this, and uh, I'm ready to run with it. I got nothing. I didn't watch the movie, so go for it. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Okay, here's my theory about this. I'm going to spoil the fuck out of this movie. Go for it, man. But here's what's really going on. This is the story of the race war. And this is the one where the Caucasians win. And it's also the story of how the CIA attempted to destroy the African-American community through various means. See, in the movie, the bees keep coming in waves and nothing can stop them. And the way that killer bees work is they kind of absorb themselves with other colonies that come in to a separate colony, they spread around their culture and that culture gets absorbed into the behavior of the normal bees. Okay. So if you take that on a human level, um, you know, with Africanization and our society, this terrified the social strata of old white guys and they did not want the black culture to infect the, um, Caucasian culture, so they started trying to do something about it. At one point in the swarm, the scientists attempt uh, to poison the bees, you know, and you can interpret that however you want heroin, crack, terrible music, whatever. But the killer bees didn't pick it up, not as a total swarm. I mean, maybe a few here and there kicked off, but it wasn't enough to destroy the whole colony. Now, here's the real tale in the movie we keep hearing about how they're African killer bees. But starting at like the beginning of the third act, they stop referring to them as bees and start only referring to them as Africans. And Mm. that's really fucking weird because that's when you get lines like Richard Widmark. He says, the war against the Africans will be under military direction as it should have been since the beginning. Nothing about the bees in there, dude. This is the fucking... 
this is this is the race war. They're about real Africans. And here's where it gets real is at the end, which I'm going to spoil. The Africanized killer bees, they are lured out to the Gulf of Mexico. And all the oil tankers in the Gulf have been told to create an oil slick. Because 45 minutes ago, Michael, Michael Cade was worried that the poison pellets would destroy the local natural insect life. But you know what? Fuck the oceans. Spill that oil. Go right ahead. Um, oil on the Gulf of Mexico, plus they have these floating loudspeakers that are broadcasting the mating call of the Africanized killer bee. Bees show up at the Gulf. They think they're going to get laid, have a couple of drinks. No. They get stuck in the oil, and then the Coast Guard sets the oil on fire, and that's how they kill the bees. So it's not only an oil slick in the ocean, it's a burning oil slick in the ocean. This is after we've already had a nuclear power plant explode in the film. But um, there's the allegory there. Bees came in for sex, they wanted to get laid, and instead they got killed. And that's talking about how AIDS was spread through the African-American community in the early 80s, thanks to the American pharma-military machine. Um, this is only five years before, you know, the AIDS epidemic really started getting underway. So, of course, somebody was working on it in the CIA, and somebody knew about it, and we were being warned. Uh, theory done. Uh, now you convinced me I got to go watch the director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. That, that, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of hard-hitting thought-provoking thought that people expect from this cinema people, I guess. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that, that nautical Kurt Russell, Jesus. That's you know, right. It, 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 that's, those are my theories, though. Nothing is important. as a select from Jeff. <laughs> and that has been story time for Professor X people. How you like them apples? Boom. Boom. <laughs> so have you decided to watch this yet, Gary? Oh, I'm I mean, going to watch it now. Not. I'm going to watch it now with, with, with wide eyes and a notebook now, see? <laughs> Yeah, Jeff needs notes. <laughs> um, Mike, what do you rate this movie? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Say anything you want to about it. I'm sorry, I just ranted for an hour. No, that was good. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Um, I would probably give this one a six. I, I still think out of the three, the Poseidon adventure was the best, but I'm, I'm a sucker for horror, obviously. Um, I, I enjoyed a movie about killer african bees or was it um <laughs> so i will give this one a six right. side an adventure you know i i guess in all fairness i'm i'm going to give this a three which is weird because i absolutely adore this movie but from a technical standpoint it's just the effects are so bad and they're holes in the plot you can drive a truck through so i give it a three because it's horrible I still think it's the most fun. I mean, fuck, giant bees and a director's cut that's two and a half hours long. Oh, my God. That's such a dry masturbatory exercise. Um, But, yeah, it's terrible, and I love it. I think everybody should see it. Now, here's a question I have for everybody. What lessons can we learn from these Irwin Allen disaster films? That the white devil is apparent. (laughs) He makes faulty shit and the faulty shit. It can backfire at any time. So technology and the white devil are not your friend. Don't watch Erin Allen movies under a strict time frame. <laughs> if you are on fire, the best thing to do is jump out a window. Because <laughs> it makes Gary laugh his ass off. 
<laughs> if you are operating a flamethrower, the best thing to wear is a paper suit. <laughs> flammability is key. Or oily rags. Oh, According to Dan Aykroyd. The Human Torch costume just consists of a bag of oily rags and a lighter. The kids love it. <laughs> um, the last lesson that I got from these movies is to remember, people can't live without each other. So if your spouse or significant other dies in a disaster, you will die also in a different fashion caused by the same disaster about 20 minutes later. That sums it up, man. Nice. And we'll be right back to close out the show. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know. I, halfway through this movie, I was just like, let's get, get this thing going. Fuck this movie. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the shin list of desserts it's it's a, a pure good i love the idea of up and coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre i really really like that idea and that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned is making a film that's just average well that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion whether it's you know to rip it apart or or praise it then you should spend time with david and me and Bo as we discuss horror films from old classics deep red empire of the ants lisa and the devil the Baby, The Toxic Avenger, The New Favorites, Absentia, Cabin in the Woods, The Loved Ones, Shadow of Death, VHS, The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horophilia Podcasting Network. Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme! Ah, Chinema. Porkies? Meatballs, too? Enjoy your crap fest. <laughs> oh, go read the bell jar, you poser! Klaus, prepare to feast your eyes on the majestic grandeur of the silver screen. It's known that Bannadyne has conducted classified biological research for the National Security Organization. Any reason for our viewers to be concerned? None whatsoever. Although the research animals which were kept here have been destroyed, absolutely no toxic elements have been released. Boosted. GH3. The dog and one of the oxcoms. Are the oxcom and the dog still telepathically linked? On a bio frequency that only the oxcom can receive. Travis Cornell made a new one today. And it may just cost him his life. The dog was like a homing device. The creature, a search to destroy missile. You know what happened to Tracy's, don't you? Travis had a dog. No, no pets. Travis, are you? Control it, it's gotta be stopped. <laughs> GH3? They're called your research channel. That's why you're so smart. They created the perfect killer. As long as he's with the dog, his life is in danger. Now, how are
are they going to stop it? It's up to you, isn't it? I stay, you die. And I say we make a stand right here, right now. Stars in Watchers. I want people to really see what's going on in here. I can't believe they're experimenting on endangered species like these. Exactly what kind of work do you do here? I do genetic research. I want to do the intro to the story. Is this dog an innocent victim? And this doggy, Max! I want Max back. We're not talking about a street mud here. We are talking about a million-dollar research animal. Thank you, Max. Sweet. See, Max is not your typical dog. He's a genetic crossbreed. Get him, Max! Sick him! Enhanced sight, hearing, strength, stamina. The ability to climb with jaguar-like agility. Even a chameleon-like capability to camouflage itself if threatened. Do you Get him! In the right hands, Max can save thousands of lives. In the wrong hands, he can be a deadly weapon. We're in big trouble. He's coming apart. He is gonna sneak. Best friend. Live from Philadelphia, it's the 125th annual Mayflower Kennel Club Dog Show. 3,000 dogs competing for best in show. To think that in some countries these dogs are eaten. Cookie and I work as a team. We met at this dance. He didn't want to dance. I got two left feet. <laughs> I thought he was kidding. But I wasn't. I was born with two left feet. Beatrice has been showing signs of depression. Ever since she saw us having sex, what would you like to say to Beatrice right now? I'm sorry you had to see that. I've been a hairdresser about 14 years. And I uh, went to a show. I asked my ex-wife, who's that? She says, that's Scott. We got top loin, porterhouse, T-bone, we got everything. Amazing. So basically, you know, meat. <laughs> Leslie and I have an amazing relationship. People say, oh, but he's so much older than you. And you know what? I'm the one having to push him away. <laughs> we both love soup. A bloodhound not only has a great nose, but they can talk. What you doing, bloodhound doggy? And he's saying I'm ready. That's when he, you know he's ready for a show. That goal is that best in show ribbon. Actually, oh. poodle means um, puddle in German. You want your busy bee? Come get your busy bee. Cut her with him. She doesn't get her door. She's going to flip out. It's not in here. You left it at the hotel. Go to the hotel and get busy bee. That's my favorite, the miniature schnauzer. You'd think they'd want to breed them bigger, wouldn't you? Like grapefruits or watermelons. Don't look at the fat head losers or freaks. You look at me! 
he went after her like she's made out of ham. All right. So, Mike, tell the folks about your stuff and where they could find all that good stuff. All right. So, uh, the main podcast is Evil Episodes. We do TV horror, all the stuff that's airing now, all the old stuff, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, Twilight Zone, Tales from the Crypt, Monsters, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, anything that's airing now, Walking Dead, Hannibal, American Horror Story. Um, we even sometimes delve into asylum movies, but we try to steer clear because uh, those are pretty shitty. <laughs> um, you can hear that podcast on Horrorphilia Network and on Legion Podcast Network. And then I also do a monthly sidecast, which your very own Jeffrey X. Martin has been on now. He's he's a regular co-host. He's been on for at least, I think, the last year. Um, and that's a movie or that's a podcast where... Every month we pick a different theme, and the four of us pick uh, a movie from that theme and uh, discuss them. And it's non-horror specific, so even, uh, horror does show up on it now and again. But I wanted to make sure, you know, whatever. If I took on a second show, that I wasn't going to limit it to just horror. So we cover all sorts of shit. The latest episode for that is up right now. We did pro wrestling documentaries. Really fun episode. Um, so check that out and, uh, that's it. And I also sometimes appear on other podcasts like cinema beef. <laughs> Great. Uh, X, tell the folks you go with your going on. Uh, check me out on the kiss the goat podcast, the six and a half feet under podcast, the not so evil episode sidecast, and this here podcast that you're listening to right now. Uh, check my writing on Pop Shifter. Check the website, jeffreyxmartin.com, for bloggity and other good stuff. And follow me on Twitter, at jeffreyxmartin, and I will be your friend. <laughs> be your buddy. <laughs> buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, come join the Sylvie Facebook group. You'll find us uh, posting stuff there sometimes. Um, you can find all the updates about the show there as well. If you want to be on a show, please contact one of us. Look at the pin post so you can see the shows we got coming up. Come be a guest on the podcast. We, we have a good time here talking about, you know, racial stereotypes and B-movies and stuff. And, you know, and that's the thing we talk about sometimes. But uh, I digress. That's how adults talk, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, find me on Twitter, GW. Uh, find me on Facebook. I'll be your friend, like, like, much like X will, you know. <laughs> find me on Sloppy Seconds, the movie sequel podcast on the Horophilia Network. Uh, come and watch and listen to two dream room commentaries also available on legionpodcast.com where you'll find this fine program and lots of other fine programs and uh yeah review contest is still going I'm uh still giving stuff away <laughs> waiting for the reviews to come pour in so I can put a couple more names in the hat for uh a Jeffrey Combs autograph uh Danny Trejo autograph Charles Band autograph a couple random blu-rays and a very sexy looking Punisher pop vinyl that uh is up for grabs as well so six prizes you have any show i produce you can you can give a rating to but it'd be cinema beef the bird in the beard sloppy seconds or two two, two two commentaries you have four chances to win one of those fabulous prizes if you can't kick me you'll be kicking a butt on facebook and let me know you gave us a review and i will look for it and we will read it on the air and uh we'll do that all, all, all the next episode and uh appreciate y'all guys thank you very much it's a blast. Thanks for having me. I'll come back anytime. That was great. Thanks, Mike. 
Uh, I always hear the Cinebeef Podcast. If you've got beef, we've got the grinder. See you next time. Beefy. <laughs> How high's the water, mama? Two feet high and rise. How high's the water, papa? She said it's two feet high and rising. But we can make it to the road in a homemade boat Cause that's the only thing we got left that'll float It's already over all the wheat notes Two feet high and rising How high's the water, mama? Three feet high and rising How high's the water, papa? She said it's three feet high and rising well, the hives are gone, I lost my bees, chickens are sleeping in the willow trees, cows in water up past their knees, three feet high and rising. How high's the water, mama? Four feet high and rising. How high's the water, papa? She said it's four feet high and rising. Hey, come look through the window pane. The bus is coming, gonna take us to the train. Looks like we'll be blessed with a little more rain. Four feet high and rising. How high's the water, mama? Five feet high and rising. How high's the water, papa? She said it's five feet high and rising. Well, the rails are washed out north of town. We got to head for higher ground. We can't come back until the water goes down. Five feet high and rising. Well, it's five feet high and rising. <laughs>